anybody that can save $1,000. That is enough to get started. Buy a condo and stay in it for a couple months and then rent it out and then game on. And even if that means you're still renting an apartment and then eventually you are getting the rent to pay your mortgage, someone else is still paying your mortgage. So if you have to stay in a rental, still buy something because somebody else can pay that mortgage for you. So there is no reason why anyone, and I mean anyone, does not have access, even if that means getting people together and together collectively you come up with $1,000. Where there's a will, there's a way. Hey everybody, welcome to Community Good. I'm Marnie Andes. This week I am really excited to kick off because it aligns with a lesson in my book called Don't Bite Off More Than You Can Chew. So we're gonna talk about finances and we're gonna talk about investing and we're gonna talk about building equity for yourself. And there's a few things that we're going to do, not only about educating you around the concepts and what you can do to use your money to your advantage, but we're also going to educate and start breaking down some stereotypes and specifically stereotypes around women. I can tell you almost every holiday season, I see reels and I see commercials where there's a woman coming in from having gone shopping. She has a number of bags in her hand. And the first things that she has to do is go and hide these things from what appears to be a heterosexual partner. So a husband, a boyfriend friend, a significant other. And there are two really, really big problems with those stereotypes. There's probably more, but the first one being that women are irresponsible with their money. The second one being that a woman is somehow spending somebody else's money. And knowing myself and knowing my network of career women, this needs to be squashed in a very big way. And I had the opportunity to speak with the expert, the incredible, exceptional Lori Pace, who is going to not only educate us about this and specifically about how we can invest in real estate to do these things, but she's also super passionate about this too. So our conversation went on in a way that we're going to break it into two parts. So this is my first part of my conversation with Lori Pace. Well, Lori, thank you for joining me in studio. I love the fact that we are both in Denver metro area. It makes it perfect. (laughs) It's perfect. Well, and I know that you've been incredibly busy lately with all the great stuff that you have going on. So hopefully that we are able to talk a little bit about that maybe during the show. I would love to. I I think it's my superpower. So the timing is perfect. Okay. Superpowers are good. I want to definitely get into that. (laughs) So I, you know, I... I think if anything, a lot of um, feedback that I've been getting around the podcast, and I shared this actually recently in a reel with some people, was people are, and specifically women, are really interested in just knowing more about what they need to consider, whether they're going through a transition right now or they're making changes in their life. So I thought before we get into the heart of what we're going to be talking about, which is women, finances, investing, where... Where or how did you get started even thinking through this for yourself? Um, it happened by accident, which are most of our gifts in life. I My background's in urban planning and architecture and design. And so I went to school with intentions to be an architect, which my father was. And during that time, I was discouraged by a professor to change the industry that I was going to pursue because there were not a lot of black women in it. And In hindsight, he thought he was helping me, but what it did was inspire me to learn more. And so I was fortunate to have my dad as a black architect to know that it was possible, which he didn't realize. So if it wasn't for that, I probably would have turned and gone to something else. But during that process, I did have to have a situation where he wasn't accepting my thesis on a black architect that designed Washington, D.C., 
And I had just come back from a conference where I had learned about the history of Washington, D.C., and that it was a black architect and the influence of African-Americans on the development of D.C. And so in that disagreement, the negotiation was that I would have to give up that class. Now, this is right before I was graduating, and I'm Jamaican, so education is really important. So the thought of ending that way didn't settle well with me or my family. And I had to take an alternative class. And I was very annoyed. And um, with a lot of pride, I thought, why do I have to take this other class? And and it was in the program at CU Denver. And at the time, I was at Boulder. And the class was 101 Real Estate. And I was perturbed and didn't understand what real estate had anything to do with architecture, urban planning, design, community development. I had no really framework for knowing what real estate was because the average person doesn't grow up saying, I want to sell real estate. I want to represent real estate. I want to own real estate, except for when we played Barbie and we had a Barbie house, but we never really talked about how Barbie got the house and Ken had the car. And and it just, (laughs) so it all came together when I started learning that real estate was really the backbone to philanthropy and that all these foundations and endowments were being served and continuing to grow because of the asset, which was real estate. And because I'm a lover of community, I recognize that this was the tool that I needed and I needed to understand it. But I didn't want to stop and go into it as a profession because I'd heard, well, you only have to be 18 to get a real estate license. And I thought, I've gone to college and I have a design background. But come full circle, when I came time to start my family, I needed an alternative that allowed some for some flexibility. By this point, I'd done corporate America and I'd done design And I'd done all the boards that I served on, and real estate was a perfect combination to balance all of that. So that was my entrance into real estate. Since then, I've been leveraging it along with other things that I do, which has always been the icing on the cake. So I would argue that real estate is in everyone's life, and it's just a matter of how you utilize it or leverage it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so a couple things hit me as you were sharing that. One is how incredibly influential our fathers can be, because mine was very influential. he had some ideas for some things I could do. Not necessarily did I pursue all of those, but <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, when you said the, the Barbie piece of this, and I don't know, I wasn't I wasn't even necessarily planning to go here, but I I wrote about this in my book lightly. So I have a I have a lesson that's just around finances, and mm-hmm. it just said you know just called you know don't bite off more than you can chew. Mm. I mean, essentially, right? But what was interesting was when I became a young adult, my dad was really adamant about us not, us, and I say myself and my siblings, owning property. He was always like, you should just lease something because then it's somebody else's problem, all this stuff. And I even said, I I believed it was a protection mechanism. He didn't, he didn't want to see his kids in debt. He'd been in debt. He'd struggled. He, you know, he'd seen those things. But but that's always played out for me in the back of my mind, even though I own a home yeah. and I actually own a, another home outside of the country, which is something that my husband and I decided to invest in. Maybe Smart. we'll talk a little bit yes, about it, right? Indeed. Um, but that took a long time for me to get yeah. over. Real estate is actually a mindset. It's a mindset that's very different depending on who you are in your stature in life, your economic opportunities or lack thereof, and even how you define yourself. And and as we go through all these changes of multicultural, multi-generations, multi-gender, all of it has a lot to do with who's willing to negotiate with you on the other side of a transaction and who's willing to open a door for you. And so depending on who you are and how you represent in the world will determine your ability to have the privilege 
of owning real estate and the honor to be able to pass that on and pay it forward. And most men, while we were playing Barbie and we had the Ken doll, most men were playing with other things that were resembling their future life and how they set themselves up financially. We were playing make-believe with the house where oftentimes growing up, that wasn't the case because men had a different responsibility to be a provider. And we as women, for the most part, and I would even say those people who identify as women, did not necessarily have that as your responsibility is to be a provider, and that stability comes through housing. And from that housing, you can then spin off for your career or anything else. But it's really a mindset of how you build your future and your legacy. And so I look at it as when you change your mind around it, similar to the abundance thinking versus scarcity, what you just described was there's a scarcity mindset around real estate. And it typically happens from those who see it as debt Conversely, others see it as abundance and an asset that creates wealth. And so once you know what the difference is, you start to see things differently. You start to see life differently. And particularly for women, when they get to the upper parts of their career and they're looking for an exit plan, it's different how they exit their corporation or how they exit their career or how they spin off to another career. And real estate is that one thing that is that stability, regardless of which direction you go. Mm -hmm. Well, I would love, so I want to dig into that a a couple things. Um, I for sure want to share, you know, have you share your advice, you know, how do you get started kind of thing. But I, I, um, I wanted to first sort of talk about the challenges that exist. So I shared obviously, just one example of maybe how my mindset was obviously influenced very early, but I pulled this knowing that you and I were going to talk today and I, here's the top stereotypes about women and money are when I did a Google search, not as financially savvy as men, more emotional about money, not as aggressive about pursuing financial goals and more risk adverse. Mm. And Interesting enough, uh, the search comes up with those answers, but I would argue that the women who embrace the opposite of that, it's actually in our nature. You know, women were responsible for building empires for many, many generations going back, thousands of years going back. Women were the curators of land. They're the ones who took care of land. They're the ones that developed everything that made that land more valuable, including building the community. But as we're being raised, we don't see it that way. Because men, conversely, have been the keepers of land. And and oftentimes, those are what wars are fought over. Every war that we've had over history is tied to the property, the boundary, and the, the entitlement of owning that land. And in some cases, land that has been taken away from other cultures. But the women have been the healing side of it. The men have been on the negotiating side of it. So that becomes part of how we are raised is that we are the nurturing ones who take care of all the things that happened after the land has been acquired. And when we go to school, we don't think about finance related to how we build our future. It's one of those things that somehow uh, by osmosis, someone will take care of it on your behalf and don't lose it and don't worry about being the best at it because somebody else will make that happen for you. Again, the way, the way most men are raised and now that's changed. You know, as we look at the different spectrum of gender and different roles that people play and the fact that it's a mix of it, it's not the same. Being the provider is 
all because we are now a global economy and we all have to provide for each other. And COVID was a perfect example of it. When the world shut down, we had to rely on each other collectively to be able to get back to the swing of things. And that was a provider mentality that we all took on. So I think going forward, we all have been given the gift of knowing that you have to know how to provide and survive for yourself. And that requires collaboration. Right. Well, for, I was trying to think of like, what was the turning moment for me? Cause every, some, some people may not even realize that whether or not they had a turning moment around some of this, or maybe they haven't experienced it yet, but for me and I'll, piggyback on something you already shared, which is educated woman, you know, you're like, I can do this. Right. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not sure I should spend my time over there because I've got, you know, advanced degrees and I'm doing all these things. Mm -hmm. Right. I, when I went through my divorce, it was so interesting to me for a number of reasons. One was at the time, even though I had always worked, um, I had always kept my own bank accounts but I wasn't the one like literally pen and paper writing the check for the mortgage. I wasn't the one who had the relationship with the home insurance or the mm-hmm. car insurance provider. And, and similarly with me as well. Yeah. I mean, it, when, when I decided to take that step, it wasn't the interesting thing, even though I had a child and I know similarly, right. Those weren't even the scariest things for me. It was like, mm. all of a sudden I'm, I, what I thought I was, a put together, educated woman, smart enough to do these things. And then all this stuff started flooding in of like, you've not been doing any of this stuff. All, <laughs> exactly. You've been bringing in money right. that pays for all these things, but you haven't been doing anything. How on earth are you going to start doing this? And it was frightening to me. It's it's extremely frightening. And for women who have experienced childbirth, when you, that baby comes, you thought, well, no one taught me how to do A, B, D, C, all those things. That happens with a lot of men. There is a point in their life where they are required to handle things. And there is a sense of pride and joy that comes with it, whereas women were sheltered from that, unless you're forced into the situation. And I would argue in saying that most women that are forced into that situation end up having more longevity with their financial situation Mm -hmm. because they are thrown into it. But that's not usually how we are trained and so even as I look at the dynamics of my my family, my marriage, you know, now you have the uncoupling of a couple that's not seen as negative as a divorce. Either way, the whole idea of going from codependent to dependent isn't even something that most people think about as they're getting older. And the one thing that keeps you stable is having your finances stable and the one asset that's greater than a car, greater than a business, better than anything else that is literally grounded is real estate. So once you recognize, and and just this morning I had this conversation with my daughter, we had a plan that when she was 18, she was going to own her first property. And then we said, okay, we'll wait till you get to college. But I remember for me in college, when I realized that my friends' parents were the landlords to the properties that we were sharing the rent. I didn't know that I was paying their mortgage. And so I decided I'd do that for my daughter. So sure enough, just this morning, she said, Mommy, I know you told me I should work on my credit score, but I was worried about my scholarship and this, all the things. And I, and now she's at this point where she's like, I feel terrible. I'm having to rent an apartment. Now she's only 19, but she said, I will do whatever it takes to build my credit because next year I want to be a landlord. Next year I want somebody to pay my mortgage. That's a generational difference that 
not a conversation I had with my parents. In fact, my parents thought it was daunting. They're like, just focus on college. doesn't matter where you live. We're going to be paying rent anyways, as opposed to others saying we will not pay rent. We will have a mortgage. And these examples show up when it comes to leveraging the funds to use for an international property. Again, not a mindset. We don't even think about real mm-hmm. estate unless you go on a timeshare presentation. And again, you don't look at that as part of your future, but just most people don't talk about real estate, but every business organization or corporation that has an endowment, that is that vehicle and that tool that they use to make sure that their assets continue to grow. And it's always tied to who is in charge of making sure that who has access to that real estate? Yeah, well, you've said a couple things, which <laughs> I had the similar experience too, where, you know, parents, when I was going through college, were some of them were in a position where they were able to buy properties, yes. that kind of thing. I would say, you know, my first husband, he bought a property in college and did a similar thing where then he rented out to two other people. So that ended up becoming our first sort of starter home. So I would think, you know, there was some education around that, but yet, you know, looking back, you know, thinking about what I would have done. And I'm trying to think about that now for my boys too. And I mean, and even particularly, I would say for all families that are looking at college as an option, or I have one child that's all about college because she was, has a scholarship that she feels a lot of pressure to do well in. And the other one who will never consider it because she sees the entrepreneurial side of it. Both of them know that that's that stability. But even when we were going through college and there was this different mindset around it and what college town assets look like versus in the middle of nowhere, America or in another Mm -hmm. country, I didn't think about any of those things. And, And as I look at it now and all that's happening, I'm helping a lot of women in particular, use real estate as a way to take money from assets, their personal homes, and creating that portfolio to make sure that they can use that for college because college is getting more and more expensive. And colleges too are tied to the real estate and the land that is Mm -hmm. on. And my daughter goes to land-grant college, which is based on real estate. But knowing how to access it and when to access it is someone has to help you. And while I said that, as a romantic story earlier on that I fell into this, it was a realtor when I was first thinking about marriage that brought myself. And at the time it was my fiance and saying, buy one property, use the money from that and buy another one and make sure you buy an investment property before you go for the big house. And he gave us a strategy and he said, if you have any questions, let me know. And we followed that. And then I went to a seminar and then I went to another seminar. Then I started asking more questions. I became wildly curious because somebody actually took the time to explain to me how to use that real estate. And I would say he did that just because it was second nature for him. But for we were like kids. We wanted to know everything we could possibly learn about real estate and all the different ways that you can acquire it and dispose of it and then rebuild. And Oftentimes when people have to rebuild after they've lost a lot, they recognize that that one thing that they can do is use real estate to rebuild. It's the fastest way to come from zero to nothing because that money, that's equity provides equity in the rest of the world, you know, equity in terms of access. Right. Well, I, so, so we've talked a little bit, I mean, I just rushed on the idea of, of mindset and where I was influenced. You've you know shared a little bit about your influence. I mean, I'm just thinking about the women that are listening to this and 
I mean, where where do they start at this point? And I'm I'm sure there's a yeah. lot of it's it depends on where you are potentially and sort of what situation. But I, you know, you and I have talked and we're going to have more conversation because I have questions around what do I do with the current home I'm in? And yes. I'd like to invest in some other properties and you and I are going to do some work together, yes. hopefully. Yes, absolutely. Um, but for the person that's just thinking like, okay, where do, if I just sort of like cleared the table, where do I start at this point? Even if it was just like a married woman, that's yeah. like, I don't really control too much of the finances right now. Like, where do I go? Interestingly enough, it is the easiest formula. Buy low, sell high. And I say that not jokingly, but it is that simple. The good news about real estate is you can leverage other people's finances. You can leverage your credit. You can leverage other assets to be able to come up with the initial investment. And sometimes that's in the form of a grant or it could be crowdfunding. A lot of other cultures, the United States being really one of the exceptions to the rule, where family members come together and bring their funds together to buy one property. And then they make money on that property and they share it with other members of the family. And yet they buy another property, particularly immigrants. And my family's immigrated from Jamaica. It's pretty often that people will use the money that they make from that house, from a collective fund. And there's formalized ways to do that. Like I said, there's crowdfunding on an institutional level. You have institutions that are bringing money together to buy entire hospitals and churches and synagogues and all the different things. And so the best thing about real estate, it is if you do not have it yourself, knowing what collaboration tools you can use to make sure that everyone can get into the property, the exit strategy of how you get out of the property is probably the trickier part of it is who gets what, how do you divide that asset and what kind of entity do you put that asset in? Is it in your personal name? Is it in a trust? And most assets are passed through trust for protective reasons. But it's really not difficult at all. And just part of it is knowing what questions to ask so you can find out how it makes sense for you. Because everything that you mentioned, all of the above will work for how you get into the next property. Taking equity out of your existing home, using equity that's borrowed from somebody else's assets, taking from um, retirement funds that you're only allowed to touch if you're using it for a real estate asset, but you return the proceeds back into and into that retirement. So a lot of people who lost their jobs recently use that as an opportunity because there's not that penalty for taking the money out, but then the funds have to go back into it. And so that's an instrument called a self-directed IRA. So it's a deferred tax. If you're a W-2 person who gets income that way, by owning a rental property, you're lowering your tax liability because now you have an asset to offset your W-2. So there's so many ways in which to do it. It's probably as a creative person, I would say artistically, it's a mosaic for me because there's always multiple ways to get into a property and there's a million ways to get out of a property. It's just knowing how to do it and making sure that you surround yourself almost like a mastermind concept. Surround yourself with the people that can help you with that, which is an attorney, a broker, a title company, a family member, a trust attorney, knowing who to go to. And that honestly is not difficult. I mean, you can literally Google that concept. However, getting in and out of that is challenging. I mean, I think we would agree most people can buy real estate. People shop for real estate every day. They look at it. They look at properties. They go to open houses. They watch HGTV. People naturally do that, whether they do it for fun, but it is around us everywhere. And it's just knowing how to get in and out of it because there, it is risk adverse where you have to be able to protect those assets because you can lose money, but 
real estate never has a zero value. It never, never has a zero value. So no matter what, if you hold on to it long enough, it will come back. And then it just depends on what the economy is doing when you let go, just like a stock. When do you let go of it and when do you add to it? And it's creating a timeline. And so much like a financial planner, when I'm meeting with people, I first find out what's your life situation. You know, I recently became uncoupled, divorced, however you want to call it. Both of us are in real estate. So we were strategic about how do we move forward. When we were thinking of dissolving the marriage, we were thinking about the assets, but we thought about it before we got to that point. And we started talking about it in our late 20s. And I thought this is an opportunity for me to be independent, but I didn't do it. Because I kept on saying, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Even though I did this for a living. And then as I started to seeing other people's lives dissolve change, I thought I need to know the strategy so that I can help those who are going through changes with family members being lost. I've gone through all of it. I lost my mother, you know, a marriage ended, my daughter went to college all within weeks. And the solution to all of that was the fact that I had the confidence that real estate's going to get me through these major life changes. And that was simply a mindset. Instead mm -hmm. of feeling like I had to start all over, it felt like I was starting from ground zero in terms of mentality, but I knew that I had the resources to use real estate to, to reset as opposed to feeling like I fell backwards. Right. Well, and that's what I want people to, I mean, I, I really want women to hear this message. I mean, I'm personally passionate about it because I, I know what that felt like to feel like I didn't have control over my own life. Well said, the control part. Yeah. And so I want, I want people women in particular to feel like they have a control over their life. And I, and with the work that I do through coaching, I work with executives, I work with organizations. There's certain things that if in order for you to personally and emotionally be able to, to transition or transform your life in very particular ways, there's, there's attention that has to be paid Absolutely. to some of these things like finances. I mean, that could be something that just throws you off course if you're constantly worried about those things or you're not sure what to do. And, and again, you use the word worry. On the flip side of that, it's what excites you. Yeah. So let's talk about someone who's first starting in the beginning of their career. When I started my career, I knew that I needed to make money outside of just my salary. And so they had me meet with a financial planner through the city of Denver. And then when I was moving into from county work, government work to private sector, I met with a financial planner again. And then most people, when they're onboarding, they talk about life insurance, health insurance. They don't talk about real estate and they're related. And so those that know that that is part of your plan starting from day one versus an executive woman, for example, during COVID and they're now home and they have flexibility or they're years away, two, three years away from retirement. And that's that aha moment of, wait a minute, what am I going to do after I walk away from this $500,000 salary? What do I have to show for this? My personal residence? Usually that is not the case with men. They are planning from day one in their careers, especially in the C-suite levels, how to include real estate. And oftentimes it's not spoken about amongst their family, not with their children, not with their partners. It's part of their DNA to make sure that they're handling their business. And it is a conversation that needs to be had with all, but even with your company, putting away money aside so that when you do leave or you lose your job, you know that you can transfer that money into something. And if that real estate vehicle is 
real estate, then you can leave a job or you can be in transition or you can take time to inhale or you can take a vacation and still have Mm -hmm. your money working for you. And that you're not at the mercy of the economy 100% because it's still an asset that no matter what will go to zero. And particularly women. Young women, I cannot say it enough. And I, 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 you and I talked about this before. I came up with this idea of properties versus purses because women talk about the value of their purses and men talk about the value of their right. house. And everybody and all the genders in between have value in something. People don't talk about the value of real estate. And the fact that you are tied to it, whether you live in a house, you work in a, a, a property, whatever the case may be, but just making that a part of your vernacular and a part of your mindset, but especially executives, when it gets to a point where you and I both know in corporate America, tomorrow you could be worth nothing. You have to know your own value. And that value is tied to your financial well-being. And that is the reality of who we are and what we are. But if you own who you are, and you can own your assets. Marrying those two together, no one can take that from you because when you own your real estate, it cannot be taken. It can't be slipped from underneath. You can't be fired from it. You can't even divorce it unless you make that decision first. And it gives you all the control that you need, which you talked about before, is feeling like somebody else is controlling your future. You control yourself 100%. There's nothing else more powerful than knowing that you have control over your future and it's tied to an asset like that that never has a zero value. Right, right. You know, like I said, I lost my mom to cancer. And even though we talked about real estate a long time, and that's been my wheelhouse, even when she was coming to those final days, we had to think about the real estate assets and the fact that a lot of people's families, everything is lost when they are now paying for fees that they didn't know, or they're paying for the loss of income because of a home, or now a mortgage needs to be paid. There's so many things that we talk, people often talk about creating a will, but they don't talk about that asset and how it can be used. And probate alone, after somebody passes away, will tie up all that equity that was ever created and will be lost simply because that instrument wasn't put in place. And it is very simple. It is extremely simple. And just having that toolkit, you know, I, I, I consult on diversity, equity, inclusion, but part of that toolkit is owning who you are. And I always tie that back to that real estate asset because that in itself, the, the wealth gap that we have globally also is tied to that generational wealth or lack thereof, or not even knowing how to get your foot in you know, even if there is a war, whether it's a divorce or whether it's coming into money or the lottery, knowing where to use that money to make sure that it has some longevity and it's sustainable, again, always ties back. Now, I'm biased and I was never passionate about real estate. It's actually funny that it's a passion of mine because I realized it saves families, it breaks families, it puts people on the map, it changes their whole trajectory, it allows them to build businesses. When we were leaving corporate America, we were using our properties and we were selling off multifamily units so that we could support ourselves as long as we need to. And we had a good stretch of seven years of being able to finance our businesses. It wasn't easy because we had to pull from those assets and we had to sell some of them. And even as we were starting to uncouple and getting rid of those assets, but we knew that going into it, if we ever needed them, we'd sell one property, buy another one, or we'd use those assets so that we wouldn't have to rely on a bank. Because in our case, many people don't have the luxury of walking into a bank and have a relationship. You don't have to have that relationship once you own property. You become your own bank. 
Mm-hmm. And that right there is the difference between having privilege and power and taking it on yourself. You can wait for all sorts of people to give you an asset. But when you own an asset, you don't have to go to a bank to ask him for a loan to start something. You have your own, your house, your portfolio, your asset becomes your bank. And you can also use that to pay it forward to other people as well. Hence Mm -hmm. philanthropy. Right. And it allows people to do things that they couldn't do otherwise. Thank you so much for listening to the Community Good Podcast. This episode has been broken up into two parts. Make sure you follow and subscribe to get notified when the next episode gets released. For more great content and to connect with Marnie, head over to MarnieAndes.com.